Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Beautiful listener, I am Nick Schwartz, and this is Wave in the Weed. I am so delighted to have you with me today. We have an outstanding episode coming. Jay Billis of ESPN will join us. We'll get his thoughts on this three-game losing streak. What stood out to him about the loss to Baylor on Monday, where he was on the call, if he still views Kansas as a national title contender, and we'll get a preview for another game he'll be on the call for, Kansas at Kentucky on Saturday. We'll close things out with a mailbag. But first, if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening. If you like these podcasts, if you like this content, if you liked hearing from Travis Goff last week, if you enjoyed this episode with Jay Billis, and you want more of it, the easiest way to do that is subscribe because as soon as these podcasts go live, you're going to get that thing right on your podcast feed wherever you're listening, Apple, Spotify. And, you know, the, the rating and the reviewing, you don't get a ton for that. But it would be a nice thing to do. I like it. It helps me out. And wouldn't it make you feel good to just do a random act of kindness today? So we're going to do a little exercise with Kansas now in a three-game losing streak to Kansas State, TCU, and Baylor. We're going to talk about the two biggest things I think are plaguing Kansas, how they get better, and my level of concern for them. Let's start with the bench production. They are averaging 11.8 bench points Per game this season. That ranks 356th in the country. That is out of 363 teams. In case you were curious, the teams with less bench scoring than Kansas this year, UMKC, South Carolina, Montana, Holy Cross, Notre Dame, Detroit Mercy, and Delaware. Delaware, by the way, is actually bringing this record up. They're 11 and 10. All the other teams have losing records. Those teams have a combined record of 60 and 86. It's been even worse for Kansas in conference play. They have 65 bench points in eight Big 12 games. 65 points off the bench in eight Big 12 games. To put that into perspective, not only is that dead last in the Big 12 by a country mile, there are two players in the Big 12 
who have more than 65 bench points by themselves in conference play. It is a problem. Now, you don't always have to get a ton of scoring from your bench. There's a lot of teams in the country who don't rely heavily upon their bench. But it would be nice, especially for a team that's constructed the way that Kansas is, where you really have two guys in Jalen and Grady who are doing a lion's share of your scoring. Dewan and Kevin have very specific roles. They're great defenders. Juan is a fantastic distributor, one of the best in the country. We'll talk about him later. But those guys are not great scorers. So how do you fix it? You get guys off the bench to come in and be those spark plugs. Be the instant offense, the microwaves, and they've had absolutely none of it this season. So how does it get better? The answer is both simple and complex. I thought long and hard about this, and I wanted to... I wanted to make sure I chose my words very carefully because I want to paint the right picture for you. And this is what I came up with. Kansas's bench production improves when some dudes who aren't currently dudes become dudes. And I think you know what I mean by that. Here's another stat for you. In conference play, only two Kansas players are averaging more than six minutes per game off the bench. Let me repeat that. In conference play, only two Kansas bench players are averaging more than six minutes per game. Bobby Pettiford and Joe Yesifu. And neither one of them are doing all that much with those minutes. Bobby just looks like he doesn't have it. And this hurts for me to say because it was just two weeks ago I was singing his praises, talking about how much I loved the lineup of bringing him in and playing him next to Dewan. Oh, how much can change with a couple of losses, right? We're all so reactionary. We all completely, I mean, think about what you were saying about this team a week and a half ago. We love the way they were playing, grinding out these tough, close wins. Oh, they've just got this extra gear. They know how to fight to the bitter end. Even if they're down early, they'll come back. They'll find a way to win the game. All those nice, fuzzy, warm feelings are gone, long gone. But that's what happens when you lose a couple games and you're thinking, okay, well, now all of a sudden we're looking up in the Big 12 and there's three or four other teams that look like they might be the best team in the conference. Bobby just looks like he doesn't have a role, like he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing out there. Like, how do you fit in with this team? I don't know what Bobby does. I don't know what Bobby does for this team. His turnover numbers have been pretty abysmal. He doesn't shoot threes. He just doesn't look like he's playing with much confidence. I don't know why that is, because he has had a cemented role in this team all season long, but he's searching out there, and he was a guy I had high hopes for as a sophomore. I was hoping he would take a big step, but right now, uh, it's just, it's not happening for him. Joe looks like he's pressing a little bit. Those two guys are different players. Joe is obviously much more of a natural scorer, but he just hasn't been an efficient scorer. He's had his spurts. He's had moments where he's played really well, but it, it seems like he's almost trying to shoot his way into the good graces of Bill Self, and that never works. I, I don't Honestly, I don't know if it's ever worked in the history of Bill Self's tenure at Kansas, where a guy wasn't playing well, but he just kept shooting more, and Bill was like, you know what, man? He's not doing anything I want him to do defensively. He's sort of doing his own thing on offense, but hell, I just I like, I like the confidence. He's taking six shots a game. Let's get this guy some more minutes. It never works. I mean, ask Remy Martin about that. It wasn't until he started doing the other stuff that he started playing last year. The only other guy that's playing with any semblance of consistency is Zach Clements, just in terms of minutes. 
Uh, is Zach Clements going to help you in the scoring department? Well, he has 18 points this season. So, hey, you tell me. You paint me the, the, the scenario in the future where all of a sudden, like, Zach Clements is a guy coming in off the bench, giving you six or seven minutes. Okay, so I haven't even answered the question, right? How does it get better? How does the lack of bench scoring get better for Kansas? I, I, I think you know the answer that I'm about to say. And it's probably the same answer that you're thinking of. And we're both thinking the same thing. Like, are we really going to say it out loud? Are we really about to say this guy's name with how little he has done for Kansas this year? And you know we will. You know we will. It's the only storyline, and I think it's going to become the biggest storyline in the second half of the season. MJ Rice needs to become a dude. Right? Go back to the original answer to this question. Some dudes who aren't dudes got to become dudes. You know who needs to become a dude? MJ Rice. He has to become one of those guys. He has to. And it's ironic to say about a guy who's averaging 2.8 minutes per game in conference play. He is the most talented player on that bench. He is one of the most talented players on Kansas's team. But it is not meshing for whatever reason. Now, he's only played in four conference games. He hasn't played a ton. Injuries are a part of that. But injuries obviously aren't the whole thing here. I don't know if it's a buy-in thing. I don't know if it's simply like he's thinking too much out there. We hear that all the time with Bill Self. Like, right, he's just got to stop thinking and go and play. Going back to, you know, before this season or before he officially signed with Kansas, there was a thought. I talked to a couple people who had shared this with me that he may go do the G League thing. He may go try to play overseas instead of coming to Kansas for a year. This guy has pro aspirations, and he can't even get on the court for you. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know if it's a him thing. I don't know if it's a trust thing for Bill Self where you just kind of got to throw this dude into the deep end, but you got to try it. You got to try it, and I I just, I don't, I'll tell you you this much. Kansas has still looked really good this year, and there have been moments where they look like they can compete with anyone. I don't know if we're still going to be saying that in March if MJ Rice is just not playing for you. I think they're trying, right? He's, He's playing. They're getting him out there early, but they're not sticking with him because the games have been getting tight, and then Bill Self reverts to what he trusts. I think the only other answer to that question would be you've got to try try out these backup bigs. You can't go all season just completely not using Ernest and Zach and Zuby. And they don't have to all play. They're not all going to play. But you have to have someone who you can trust a little bit. And if that kills your season, right? If you play a guy in March who's not ready, if it's Zach or Zuby or Ernest, and you lose a game and your season's over, so be it. Because you can't survive doing it like this. You can't survive having a 6-7, six, 6-7 seven, six, seven front court and expect to win six games in March. Or quite frankly, expect to win four games in March. You've got to have a backup big. You've got to have someone you can turn to and spell KJ, whether it's a matchup issue, whether it's foul trouble. you got to find someone. Right now, Zach seems to be the, the best candidate for that. Go, the same thing that you can say about MJ, you could say about Ernest. Ernest is the most talented big on the team. And, I, I, and I'm not even close to saying that it looks like he's earned trust right now that you should really be throwing him out there. But it's the only way. It's the only way these guys are going to get any better. Give them a chance to earn some confidence on the court. And I wouldn't be shocked here for the next couple of weeks. All of a sudden, we see those guys playing just a little bit more. Uh, level of concern for the bench production? Give me an eight and a half. Because right now, 
There's not an obvious answer. I think the second thing that's been plaguing Kansas during this losing streak has been their guard play. Start with Dewan Harris. He has five points in his last four games. You did not mishear me. Five points in four games from your starting point guard who's playing 35-plus minutes a night. It's got to change. It's got to change. Dewan's not a great scorer. He's not a great shooter. But you has got to find ways to impact the game offensively by scoring the ball. I, I don't. I, there's no other way around it. He's 2 of 18 from the field. He is 1 of 8 from 3 during that four-game stretch. His turnover numbers have skyrocketed as well. He has 4, 3, and 4 turnovers during this three-game losing streak. Here's the problem, though. Harris has absolutely nobody behind him who can spell him. We just talked about Joe and Bobby. You can't really take him out of the game for those guys. In fact, usually those guys are coming in to play alongside Dewan. So Dewan, much like so many point guards over the past handful of years with Kansas, can't afford to sit for more than a couple of minutes a game. And there's no other natural ball handlers in the lineup. You're basically playing Juan next to three wings, much like you last year played him next to three wings with Ochai, CB, and Jalen. So you don't have a natural point guard like you had with Remy Martin or a natural ball handler that you really have any level of trust with. That has to change. Bobby or Joe have to be someone that you can not just put out there for 15 minutes, but actually get contributions from. They can't just be guys stealing you minutes because that's what it feels like. It's like you're robbing from us. When you're out there playing 13 minutes a night, you're stealing playing time because you're not giving the team anything in return. That's how I feel about Bobby and Joe right now. Kevin McCuller, on the other hand, if we want to lump him in, he is a wing, but he's, I guess, one of your starting guards. I feel like he's a part of the problem because a lot of people continue to complain about Kevin and want to see more from him. I understand. He is 0 for his last 11 threes dating back to January 10th. So that's basically two weeks of not being able to make a shot. But he's so good on defense that you can't really afford to take him off the court. Kevin has a niche role. Dewan has a niche role. And both of those guys just happen to be in slumps. I said it last week, I'll say it again. And I'll keep saying it. Kevin McCuller is exactly who he was at Texas Tech. Kevin McCuller is the same guy that made him one of the most highly sought-after transfers in college basketball. He is a streaky shooter, a below-average shooter, but he's a very high-IQ basketball player, and he's one of the premier defensive guards in the country. It just so happens that his coldest shooting spell of the season is coinciding with Dewan Harris's coldest shooting spell of the season. So if we isolate those two guys and leave Bobby and, Pet and, and Joe out of this because we lumped them in with the bench guys, how do you fix it? You just give it time. You got to remember, too, these guys not played together before, right? This is a new starting lineup. So my level of concern would be a four and a half because I think if you give this time, we're going to be having a different conversation about the way Juan and Kevin are playing. Now, big picture with this team, I think it's important to remember that these guys have not spent that much time playing with one another. Dewan and Jalen are really the only guys who have a ton of experience playing next to each other. KJ's a sophomore. Kevin was at Texas Tech last year. Grady was in high school. This learning curve that a lot of times takes two seasons. Remember last year, the team that won the national championship? It was virtually the exact same starting lineup from the year before. A very, very wildly underwhelming Kansas team. But they came back, all the same pieces, still spent all of last year taking their lumps, losing games in the regular season, having us question if this was a national championship caliber team, 
only to figure it out when it matters most. Now, I don't know if this team's going to do that. I don't think they have as much raw talent as last year's Kansas team did, and they certainly didn't have the experience and the continuity that last year's team did. But they're going through the same lumps that we saw Kansas go through for two years of learning to play with one another, figuring out your rules, and figuring out how you reach your own individual ceiling. I don't know if this team can be that, because what you are doing is compacting that process of meshing and improving on chemistry that usually takes two or three years. You're meshing it into about six months, and you don't always get the results you want. They may end up figuring it out. MJ Rice and Ernest may end up coming along. But right now, in the heat of Big 12 season, when it feels like it couldn't get any worse, guess what? You're probably right. I imagine this team is still going to be in the mix to win the Big 12 by the end of the season. It just feels like it's rock bottom because it probably is. When you think of the all-time greats like Michael Jordan or Shaquille O'Neal, they take a backseat to my guest today in terms of bald-headed basketball figures. He is the most respected voice in college basketball. He is, without a doubt, the best college basketball analyst in the game. Jay Billis. It just brings credibility to the broadcast. When you hear that Jay Billis is on the call, it's exciting. Whether it's Big Monday, which he was on the call for when Kansas took on Baylor down in Waco, or a primetime game on Saturday, which he will be on the call for when Kansas takes on Kentucky this Saturday in Lexington. It gets you a little bit more excited. You know, a lot of people like to hate on college analysts or sports analysts in general. Whoever's calling the game, they hate your team. They're annoying. They talk too much. You never hear any of that stuff about Jay Billis because he sits down, he does his job, and he does it at such an incredibly high level. And I know that every time I'm fortunate enough to spend a few minutes talking about Kansas with him and talking about college basketball, I come away from it feeling like I know more about college basketball than I did just a few minutes prior. I love talking to this guy. I hope you feel the same way. I hope you feel a little bit smarter after listening to our conversation or maybe more accurately, just listening to his answers. Here is my conversation with the one and only Jay Billis. I want to start with that game in Waco, Jay. That was the third of what is now a three-game losing streak for Kansas. When you look at just all three of these games, how has your perception of this Kansas team changed at all after seeing them drop three in a row? Do you, do you view them any differently than you did a week and a half ago? No. Uh, I think Kansas is still very, very good. Um, they're not. There's no truly great team that I've seen this year. Uh, I would say that Purdue and Alabama are probably the two best teams I've seen. But uh, just because you have a you know bad outing or a rough path, patch in the schedule, it doesn't define you as a team. Just like a five- or six-game winning streak doesn't mean you're going to win the NCAA championship. Uh, Kansas you know, doesn't have a ton of size, and they need to improve their bench production. But – it's still a, a, a really good basketball team that can beat just about anybody on a given night. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not as worried. It's just the big 12 is, uh, is more difficult this year. There's no bottom to the league. You know, everybody, every team in the league is, is a top or middle um, caliber team in any conference. And no other league has that. Every other league that I've seen has a, has a significant bottom and a, uh, games where you can kind of get healthy, so to speak, and and even if you don't play well, you know you're going to win. You know, in that in that league, you know, if you don't play well, you don't win. It's pretty simple. 
And we'll see how it shakes out here over the next, you know, five, six weeks. But that's kind of always been the mantra about the Big 12 is that there's no nights off. Like their seventh or eighth best team might be a seven or eight seed in the NCAA tournament. What stood out to me early in conference play with the Big 12 is that there doesn't seem to be a ton of separation at the top. When you think of KUK State, Baylor, Texas, throw TCU in there as well. I don't know where the separation is, and it seems like it's even more top-heavy this year than it's been in years past, even when it was regarded as perhaps the top conference in the nation. Yeah, I mean, I think most years there's not a ton of separation with the the better teams in the league, but but this year there's not a lot of separation one through ten. And, you know, even Texas Tech, they've had a, a rough, rough time winning games, but they're in just about every game, and you know, after a while, when you lose so many games, you, you tend to get mentally beat up. So that can affect you as well. But look, you, you know, everybody should remember. I mean, last year at this time, Kansas got their doors blown off by Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you watch that and go, how can they beat anybody? And they win the national championship. I mean, there's a long way to go. And guys are going to get more comfortable uh, in their roles and get better. And even though, you know, when you're winning, it seems like you're never going to lose. When you're losing, it seems like you're never going to win. Uh, neither one of those things is true. And I think individual fan bases have a, a tendency to hyper-focus on their team while ignoring that other teams are are going through stuff as well. You were on hand for that game in Waco. Did you come away from that with any uh, overarching thought about what you saw from Kansas and, and what ended up costing them in that game against Baylor? Similar to the TCU game. Um, you know, TCU, they they lacked a little bit of energy, I thought, especially at home. And um, you know, you had guys that didn't play as well as they're capable of playing. You know, Grady Dick was going through a little bit of a slump. I think he was three for 16 from three in, in that game and the Kansas State game combined. He played uh, much better um, against Baylor. And, and he's going to continue to get better as a defender and avoid picking up, you know, cheap fouls and, and winding up on the bench for significant minutes in the first half to protect them. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a mistake it was defined by errors, you know, errors, throwing the ball away, um, you know, uncharacteristically like Dewan Harris throwing the ball away. I mean, one of the biggest plays of the game was that, you know, transition. I think he was trying to throw it to Joseph Yesifu, but he tried to make a, an advance pass, threw it away. And then Jalen Bridges got a dunk on the other end, a dunk or a layup. And that, that, that's a four point swing right there where they could have cut it. Uh, cut it down to a two-possession game or maybe even one at the time. I don't remember exactly what the score was, and all of a sudden it gets stretched out on him. Yeah. That was a deflating deflating play. But, you know, the game didn't start off well. You know, it was just too many turnovers, too many, you know, getting to the end of clocks or taking a shot without really making the defense, putting the defense in a position to make a mistake. And uh, and obviously Baylor got off to a, a really good start with the way they shot the ball. But Kansas weathered it. And uh, and was in a position to win the game, but um, but I think it was a good learning. You know, these things for this team, even though most of those players have been there before, uh, this team uh, together hasn't learned all that stuff. And I think KJ Adams is going to play a lot better. Um, you know, back to back, he had two of his uh, poorest outings, I would say, and he's a very capable player. He had like eleven games in a row where he scored in double figures, so. Uh, I don't think this is a a deep problem, but but you know Kansas needs more bench production, more quality minutes from the bench, 
where there's not a, a, as big of a drop off. Like right now, in bench play is a drop off. Yeah. And if you can at least maintain uh, a level, um, it's not like you're asking for a huge boost, but but let's not have a drop. And uh, and the the players are capable, but they got to get you know people have to get comfortable and confident. And you know I don't think Dewan Harris has looked particularly confident in the last couple games. Like he's he's uh, the the errors have been uncharacteristic because he's so smart. And then he, he he's in my eye he passed up some open shots against Baylor. And you know somebody could say, well, it's not his role. He's not a shooter. Well, he might not be the best shooter, but you, you, he's got to take open shots. Like your teammates expect you to take those, and when when you pass up an open shot, it's putting your team at a at a disadvantage. And this is sort of you know partly speculation. When you think about, you're not going to your bench very often. Dewan Harris is playing about as many minutes as anybody in the Big Twelve, and when you see guys start to make those uncharacteristic mistakes like he was making with a few bad passes and errant decision-making. Do you start to wonder if fatigue is setting in just knowing that these guys are playing 35, 38, 39 minutes a night and you're now in the the heat of Big 12 play where you know the volume of games go up? Do you, you sometimes sort of wonder, okay, maybe this is taking a toll on him just how much he's having to play? No, I, I don't worry about the, the minutes as much as you do, it's nice just to get a, a, a second, you know, to come out of the game just for a, a couple of minutes to, you know, just get a little bit of a blow, like a mental blow, uh, more so than the physical one. Um, you know, there is a cumulative effect. I mean, you do get tired. It was their second game in three days and they had to travel in between. So it's not like it's easy, but, uh, but I'm not worried about, I wouldn't worry too much about the, you know, 37 versus 31 minutes um, you know, Dewan can handle that. All of them can handle it, but it is nice to have a rotation going where you keep a fresh mind out there. Um, um, you know, th- those, that's why you have a bench and that's why you like depth. Uh, it's not just in case somebody gets hurt or somebody gets in foul trouble. You know, you want to have that, you know, sort of fresh rotation every once in a while, but, but Kansas doesn't have that right now. That doesn't mean it's not, it, it still can't develop. Uh, over the course of the season, you know, similar to what I was talking about with last year. Um, you know, last year at this time, I remember thinking there were seven or eight teams that could win the title, legitimately win the title. And I didn't have Kansas in there at that time. And as the season went on, you're going, yeah, maybe they can. And and obviously they did. Uh, this year's not, I, I think there are more teams that are capable of winning it. And I still think Kansas is one of them but they're a different team this year than they were last year. And, and, you know, you still have some things, I think Kansas still has some things to, to figure out and how to play without having a traditional big guy and, and all that stuff. And when you're switching uh, one through five, you know, they're still learning how to, how to really do that and be impactful when they do it. And Bill Self's a hall of famer for a reason. And almost every single year we get to the end of the year and think back about the issues that we're talking about in January and saying, wow, look at all the buttons he pushed and the solutions that he found throughout the season. When you're looking at that lack of bench production right now, how do you work through that? If you're Bill Self, if you're just not getting that production from any of these guys, whether it's the guards or the big guys, and it feels like the rotation is ever shifting from game to game, how do you find those right buttons to push here while you're also competing for a, a Big 12 title and trying to stay firmly in the race? 
I think it's game to game. And then, and then it, it a lot of it's practice that you keep practicing uh, hard and, and having all those guys get reps and practice so they can build some confidence that way, but you keep putting them in there and it's not like, uh, you know, you're wrote about it where you have the exact same minutes played in every game, things are going to change game to game. And, you know, you may have a certain feel based upon how a guy does early in the game and maybe you don't go to him as much or somebody plays really well and you go to him a little bit more. But uh, look, your confidence comes from your performance, not from somebody telling you, hey, go out there and be confident. And uh, and confidence can ebb and flow, too. Uh, you know, I, I don't think, frankly, Dewan has looked particularly confident the last couple games, but he's a confident player. Uh, but there's a difference there. Like he knows he can do it. He's done it. And so you have a, a blip where you don't play well or Grady, Grady Dick didn't shoot the ball well for a couple games. Not a not a huge deal. Um, I, I think uh, I think they'll be they'll be fine. I'm not worried about it, nor should should fans. Not that I would tell fans what to do, but it's still a really good team. And and, you know, I mean, but just look at the schedule. I mean, they they have uh, they have Kentucky on Saturday. Then they turn around and play. What is it? Texas on uh, or is that a week from a week from then? I mean, they, they got like a, another Saturday, Monday where they got Texas and all kinds of stuff in between. It's just it's just crazy. Maybe they have Kansas State yeah, right yeah, after they that. Go, they go K-State. Yeah, Kentucky, okay. Kansas State. So, I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's not like it gets easier. And then they got Texas a week after that on Big Monday. I, I'm going to be there for for both Kansas State and Texas. So. You know, there's a there's a lot of tough games and you just have to, you know, you, you took one on the chin at Baylor. You got to pick yourself up off, off the deck and play again. But if you won, you'd have to play again anyway. So, you know, it's it's, it's kind of have to have a short memory. It's, a, it's a very much a, a Ted Lasso thing, you know, be a goldfish. A goldfish, yeah. And they've got they've got Iowa State, by the way, sandwiched in the middle of those K-State and Texas games. So it's not as though that'll be easy. Yeah, there's yeah, a right there. You don't get any reprieve. In the Big 12, certainly this year. You, you mentioned Grady Dick. Uh, when you watch him play for a freshman, first off, I want to say aesthetically, there's st- striking similarities to you in your Duke days. Six eight, long, wispy hair, tons of swag. I don't know from a basketball standpoint, you could answer this better than I do. Are there any more similarities that I'm missing? Uh, he's not as good looking as I was, um, and his hair is fine, but it wasn't as spectacular okay. as mine, okay. but, but yeah, there, I, I'd, I'd say there are similarities there. Not many. He, he's a much better player than I was. He seems to be very advanced. Um, at least with not just his skill set, which is really impressive, but he's one of those guys, which I think a lot of times a freshman, I hear Bill Self harp on this every year that maybe takes a guy's a few years to really grasp this the idea that if your shot isn't falling there are plenty of ways to get yourself out of that slump and still make an impact on the court and he seems to to get that which you don't always get for freshmen when you watch him play what stands out what impresses you the most about this kid well obviously he's a very gifted shooter the likes of which you don't see very often uh his ability to just catch it and get it into his shooting stroke uh, is as fast uh, as and as pure as is you know I can remember for especially for a freshman, uh, but I think he's learning how to one get open with uh, uh, with a lot of attention on him, and then you know he's a good cutter. So you know there were a couple times where he started a back cut and then kind of hesitated or thought better of it. And you're like, man, when you back cut, you got to back cut. You can't stop. 
And because uh, uh, the passer's not thinking that the, the passer's thinking you're back cutting and the ball goes out of bounds because you stopped the cut. Uh, I think there was one or two of those uh, against Baylor and I've seen it on film uh, and he, he's learning that. Uh, and then I think he did it a few times against Baylor, which is impressive, like using the drive. Um, I think one of the things that he can do better because he's athletic and he's smart and he's a great shooter, you know, use that shot credibility to shot fit and drive it hard, you know, force help, get to the free throw line more. I think he's capable of getting, getting to the free throw line more often. Part of that's going to be his physical strength, but the other part of it is just doing it. And he, he had one really nice right-handed drive on the right side. Then he had a left-handed slot drive, uh, both of which were really effective. So he's going to keep getting better. I mean, he's averaging 15 a game now, and and if not the best three-point percentage in the league, he's he's one or two in that, and he's made over 53s. I mean, he's accomplished a lot, but that's not the limit of what he's capable of doing. And and that's that's the thing about this time of year, you know, some guys hit the, you know, they say the freshman wall and some, most of that's mental and, and rather than physical, but even guys that operate at a high level hit, hit a little bit of a wall or hits freshman speed bumps where, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to fight through it. And, and I think he'll be, he'll be better throughout the course of the season. He's been terrific so far. And I think a lot of times for freshmen, when you know you have the pedigree, you have the skill set, coaches are, are, know the impact that you have, your teammates know the impact that you have, especially with him offensively, the type of attention that he garners from opposing defenses, that sometimes there is a hurdle to get over mentally of, I may be a freshman, these guys may be all upperclassmen, but they're expecting me to assert myself and, and really go out there and, and not allow whatever the defensive game plan is to take me out of the game completely. How difficult do you think that is for a freshman to get over that hump of, uh, of deferring to other guys simply because you're the new guy, they're the upperclassmen. I'm not trying to step in here and step on anyone's toes. Well, it's hard for anybody. It's hard for Kevin McCuller, you know, uh, but there's a difference between kind of being the assertive alpha dog. And then like, I think all five guys on the floor should be looking to score on every play. And when I say that, it doesn't mean looking to take the shot, but working to score. Uh, you know, if you make a hard cut and a scoring cut, even if you don't get the ball, you're going to draw defensive attention that's going to help a, a teammate get open or get a shot. If you're posting up, you have to post up hard to get the ball, post for an angle uh, to occupy that defender and, or maybe draw additional defenders and it opens things up for others. Um, you know, when you screen, you got to screen to look to score. And, um, uh, the, you know, those are all important aspects of playing basketball. It's not selfish to look to score. It's selfish to take bad shots. So those are two different things. But the, the other thing that Grady needs to do, in my view, is become a better defender. I mean, I don't think it, it's a secret. Opponents are looking to attack him. And they're looking to attack him to try to take advantage of a freshman that's, you know, not of the strongest build. Um, but they're also looking to try to put him in foul trouble. And, and uh, you know, a lot of coaches do that. They, they really try to make the opposing best players guard and put them in situations where they got to guard because they, they want them thinking about more than scoring and then putting them in positions where they can pick up fouls and um, um, you know, and that, that's something he's going to have to improve upon. And, but, but he's not alone there. 
I mean, he's had a spectacular freshman year, just spectacular. And we could sit and nitpick and because of his talent level, say he should do this better. You know, he's going to do those things better that we're talking about. But you also have to acknowledge you're asking somebody to go from, you know, uh, an A minus to an A plus here. Uh, he, he's been fantastic. You've mentioned KU's front court. KJ Adams has been a bit of a godsend with the steps that he's taken in his sophomore year. And right before this sort of ugly two-game stretch for him, he was playing the best basketball of his career, being about a 16 and, and 7 guy on most nights. When you look at this front court in general, like what do you make of, of this rotation that seems to be rather fluid? Is that... Is that front court and the bodies that they have in place, do you think that's good enough to still compete with the best teams in the country, despite the fact that right now they're just not playing with the type of size you're used to seeing under Bill Self? I mean, yes. Obviously, they can win with it because they have won with it, and they've won against bigger teams. Um, is it is it easy? No. I mean, it's going to be a challenge for KJ to have to deal with Oscar Shibway. It's a challenge for him to deal with a lot of big guys he has to go against, but he's fully capable of doing it. Um, and it requires some, you know, different adjustments and perhaps double teams, but, but, and then it puts them in some interesting situations when they have to switch. I mean, he was switching out on some guards that can get their own shot, uh, in the Baylor game. If he switched out on LJ Cryer, or Adam Flagler, they were just, you know, step back shot, you know, kind of sizing him up from time to time. Um, so that's going to be part of the deal, but there's never been a shutout in basketball. So, you know, the, the other teams are going to score. Um, and, and we're not talking about, you know, a, a big margin here. I mean, the, the TCU game was an anomaly. Uh, Kansas did not play well, and TCU played great. But I think there's going to be, you know, Kansas can cause opponents a lot of problems. And, you know, they can spread you. Uh, they've got multiple guys that can drive and, and shoot. Um, so they're a, they're a problem, and they're difficult to play against. Um, but there's not a there's not a big margin for error. You know, it's not like it's not like you have, uh, you know, you doke Azubuki, you just throw the ball down there and he's going to clear out a ton of space or throw a lob up there and he'll knock everybody out of the way. Go get it. Um, it it's going to it's going to require more um, focused effort collectively uh, on the part of, of everybody on the floor to be successful. Last year at this time, you and I spoke a couple times last year, we were talking about the growth that Ochai Baji had made going into his senior year. And now it feels like we're seeing something similar where Jalen Wilson has turned himself into an All-American candidate, a National Player of the Year candidate. What have you seen in terms of the steps that he's taken, the growth that he has underwent from last year to this year that has turned him into one of the premier players in the country? I think Jalen's been a lot like Ochai in that they've had old school progressions. You know, they came in as freshmen, they played roles and, those roles increased over time. And then by the time they got to be seniors, you know, they were, they were the, the, the leader. And um, I, I think there's a lot of value in that. You know, there's not one way to do it. It seems like today, if you don't go pro after your sophomore year, you know, there's something wrong and that's not necessarily true. Um, you know, you have these super talented people that decide to leave, but, um, but for Jalen, I mean, it's been, it's been fun to watch him. You know, he's, he's had great years every year. Um, but they've been different and his role's been different. Uh, but this year uh, he stepped into a much bigger role and, you know, he's carrying, you know, he, he's got a confident body language about him. He's carrying himself as the best player and he's really assertive. 
Um, he's really decisive in, in his movements. And, uh, you know, when he takes a shot, uh, nothing's an afterthought with him this year. And uh, he looks really comfortable in, in his role as the best player. Um, so it, it's kind of an old school development in that regard. And, uh, and, but that's, that's happening a lot all over the country. You know, a lot of these, there's so many players that are fifth year guys, COVID year guys, uh, basketball is older right now. It's not going to be that way forever. Um, we're we're going to probably see it, you know, revert back a little bit to where, you know, you don't have to look for super senior or anything like that. It'll be guys who actually play four years instead of six. Um, I mean, some of these guys are 25 years old. I mean, it's, you know, hard to believe. You start thinking, did, was he a freshman when I was a senior? You know, it kind of looks that way. Uh, you'd mentioned earlier that you still view, view Kansas as one of the teams who could win a title. I'm curious, are there any other Big 12 teams or how many other Big 12 teams do you have in that, that pool right now? Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't penciled it out like I did last year because I, I think it is that, you know, that kind of year where it's a lot's going to depend on how healthy you are and how well you're playing at the end of the year. Uh, Cause as you know, all, all you have to do to get to a final four is, is clear four games in your bracket. It, it's, it's really about your path. And, you know, last year, hell, you know, Creighton could have beat Kansas. Yeah. Um, it, it, and then if that happens, you know, the whole tournament looks different. I mean, every tournament, no matter if it's the year Gonzaga and, and Baylor went to the, the title game, if they re-racked it and played the same tournament uh, right after, it'd be a totally different result. Um, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to some of this stuff. Like some years, you know, like in 2012, you knew Kentucky was the best team when Kentucky played Kansas, oddly enough, in that final. Um, and, and, you know, in 2015, you knew it was, you knew Duke and Kentucky and, and Wisconsin were the best teams. And they happen to all get to the final four, but it doesn't happen very often where, where some of the best teams don't get knocked off before they get to, to that destination. Well, two of those teams uh, might be facing off in Knoxville on Saturday and a college game day, Texas and Tennessee. Are you going to be in both Knoxville? Yeah. And Lexington. So yeah. Can... I go to, I go to Knoxville Friday and then uh, we'll hop in, uh, hop in a car and shoot up to Lexington as soon as the game day shows over. That'd be a fun day. Um, you mentioned Oscar Sheway. Obviously, that, that might be one of the matchups that everybody's going to have their eye on with what we've talked about with KU's front court. What are you going to be watching for in that game? What are you most interested to see playing out between KU and Kentucky? I think anytime you play Kentucky, um, you have to be concerned about a few things. One, you have to deal with um, their offensive rebounding. So rebounding is going to be a big factor in the game, and it's going to be a gang rebounding uh, chore for Kansas. You can't just expect your front court to deal with it. All five guys have to get on the glass on the defensive end before you decide to get out in transition. Uh, the other thing is you have to keep Kentucky out of transition. They're good getting up and down the floor, uh, especially when Xavier Wheeler's in the game because he's a one-man fast break. He really can dribble, dribble advance. They pass advance. And uh, they've got they've got athletic wings, and in transition you have to find Antonio Reeves and uh, C.J. Frederick uh, first and foremost, and then Cason Wallace also. But you got to find those guys in transition because they're their best shooters. And then you have to contain the ball. Um, you know they they play uh, some dribble drive stuff. They do a lot of middle ball screen action. They'll run some false motion to get into it. Um, but Kentucky's not. Uh, they've struggled at times defensively this year, and I think Kansas can take advantage of that. 
Um, you know, they struggle a little bit. They struggle to contain the ball. Um, they're vulnerable to, to duck-ins, and, uh, and I, I, I'm not sure they guard screen and roll particularly well. At least it's not been a strength. doesn't mean that it can't be improved upon. It can't be, be good going forward. But I think you have to attack Shibway. Um, you know, he plays – when you put him in ball screens, especially in the middle of the floor, he plays in drop coverage, and I think you can, you can have some, some good opportunities against that. Um, but he's a handful. I mean, he's playing really well. I think early in the season, he was still coming back from that injury. He didn't seem like he was a hundred percent, but, um, you know, since the Georgia game, he's been fantastic. He had what he had 37 and 24 in that game. And, you know, he's averaging 14 rebounds a game. He goes after every one of them with two hands and, uh, he's really hard to, hard to block out. Um, so, you know, if you, if you can limit him, great. But you basically have to stay in front of Kentucky, contain them, and make them make them take contested twos, and then go get it. Well, Jay, thanks so much for hopping on with me. Always so generous with your time. Uh, you're the best, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be with you. All right, let's get to the mailbag. If you have any questions for me, you can tweet them at me at Nick underscore Schwert, KU basketball, KU football, whatever you want to talk about, and then we'll get to them. On the podcast, first question from Cody. Is a three-game losing streak early in Big 12 play the best thing that could happen to this team to expose what we need to fix before March? So I don't know if three games is really the line where uh, you, you, you start focusing and saying, oh, okay, well, now we really need to get better, as if two games wouldn't be enough for you to really go back to the drawing board. I think Bill Self probably is going to get on these guys and work on things regardless of whether it's a two-game losing streak, a three-game losing streak. So I am not in the boat that says these are necessarily good things. I am in the boat that whether it is a two-game losing streak or a three-game losing streak or dropping three of four or three of five, ruts like this in a college basketball season are inevitable. Especially in the Big 12 where... One through 10 are all top 50 teams in the country. You don't have that anywhere else. Like, it's not even close. I know in years past, we've always said that the Big 12 is the best conference in basketball. I think a lot of that was due to the fact that you just had a solid conference, one through 10. What's different this year is that there might be four or five teams that are legitimate top 15, top 20 teams in the country. I do think the Big 12... It is as strong as ever in terms of where the bottom is. It's a very strong bottom. And I know what you're thinking, right? I went to college with a guy who was a strong bottom. I was a strong bottom back in college. I know someone who is. My significant other is. That's not the type of strong bottom we're talking about. You go through every other conference in the country. I mean, even like, I think the Big Ten is the second best conference in America this year. But you've got bad teams at the bottom. You've got Minnesota. You've got Nebraska. You have Wisconsin, who's having a really rough season. These aren't tournament teams. These aren't teams that are even thinking about going to the tournament. But as bad as it's been for Texas Tech, right? They're 0-8. They're better than the three worst teams in the Big Ten. So you've still got the strong bottom, but you've got KU, you've got Iowa State, you've got K-State, TCU, Texas. All of these teams are legitimate top 15, top 20 teams in the country. I didn't even mention Baylor, right? 
West Virginia, I think, is still really strong. And I wouldn't be shocked if they end up finishing, you know, sixth or seventh in the Big 12 this year. You're, you're a lot stronger at the top than you've been for quite some time. So the strength of the Big 12, the traditional strength of the Big 12, continues to persist this year. But you're even stronger at the top. I got off on a little bit of a tangent that didn't really answer the question. The reason why I say it is because you're going to have stretches where you look like you're you're all of a sudden a fraud. It, we, we easily forget that Baylor lost three in a row to start Big 12 play, and now they've ripped off five in a row. TCU had a stretch where they lost three of four. You're going to go through these weird lulls in the Big 12 season. Kansas just happens to be going through theirs right now. And it makes sense when you look at the quality of opponent that they played. They played three ranked teams, two of them on the road, one of them an in-state rival in what was the most ruckus environment that arena has seen in the last six years. And it doesn't get any easier going against Kentucky, K-State, Iowa State, Texas. There's no reprieve, right? You're not almost on the other side of this thing. But this is just what happens in the Big 12. Kansas is not impervious to it. They're not immune to it. But neither is any other team in the conference. I'm not saying that Kansas won't lose again. But this is probably about as bad as it's going to get for them this season. Whereas I think a lot of these other programs are going to hit those stretches. Unless there's just a team that's way better than we think and way better than the rest of the conference, which I don't think is the case. Kansas had the best case to be made in that regard. They clearly just went through this rut. I think other teams at the top of the Big 12 are going to go through it as well. All right, I like this one. Would you rather have KU's tradition in history or UCLA's national championships? It's an interesting question because we always judge every program based off banners. How many titles do you have? How many banners do you have hanging in the rafters? And UCLA has more than anyone. Yet, when you get into the conversation of who the Blue Bloods are, UCLA never gets mentioned. We talk about Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke. And then there's sort of a second tier where you get to the the programs of yesteryear. Indiana, UCLA. That's really it, right? Then there's this other weird tier of we're not really either of those things, but we've been pretty good for a while. UConn certainly in the mix. Indiana in the mix. When I think of Blue Bloods, it's sustained success over long periods of time, over multiple eras of the program. UCLA had the best era of college basketball of all time. That was also, what, 60 years ago? You know how many teams made it into the NCAA tournament when UCLA was going on their run? 16. 16 teams made the NCAA tournament. So if you were the best team, if you were the most talented team, if you had all of the best players and the best coach, you had to win four games to win a national championship. It was a lot easier. It was a lot easier back then, especially when you were running a monopoly on talent. If Kansas were playing, let me ask you this. If Kansas were playing currently in the Bill Self era, so going back to 2004, if Kansas had played every single season in a 16-game NCAA tournament, 16-team NCAA tournament, how many titles do you think they'd have? Bet you it's more than two. I would rather have the sustained period of success. Banners are cool. But they're not that cool when you weren't alive to see them. And they weren't that, they're not that cool when you don't remember that era. And I know that's a super like millennial thing to say to sort of dismiss history, because of course I don't want to dismiss the fact that, you know, 
the guy who invented the game coached here or that Fog Allen, one of the godfathers of the sport, coached here and Wilt Chamberlain went here. I don't want to dismiss any of that, but what is beautiful about Kansas is that there really haven't been any lulls since those periods. There hasn't been a time where the success of the program has dipped and UCLA has seen that. So in the end, I, I, I want the sustained success. I want multiple eras of historic and successful basketball. Kansas has that. So I really don't even think it's a question. I don't even know how many UCLA fans would say they would take those banners. Unless you're 70 years old and you remember John Wooden and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton winning titles. All right, this question's from Frank. The way the game is played in a tournament setting is so different. Less crowd influence on situational officiating, long TV timeouts, quick turnarounds on scouts. Cavernous arenas with weird lighting, rando game times, etc. How is this team built or poorly for that? Yeah, I don't mean for this to be a cop-out answer, but it's just so hard to tell before you actually see them in that setting. I don't think there's any sort of formula. I don't think there are boxes that you can check throughout the regular season to tell you that this team's going to thrive in those situations. That team won't. Otherwise, I mean, the NCAA tournament would be much more predictable, which, as we know, it's not. Nobody at this time last year was considering Kansas to be one of that elite four or five teams in the national championship conversation. But it's not because of, like, they didn't check these sort of boxes, right? The less crowd control. I don't know if this team is, you know, more susceptible to those sort of uh, lethargic starts because we've seen it basically in every single Big 12 game that they've played in. So I'm not to assume that it's because of, the crowd influence they've played in all sorts of environments so far this season and it's been sort of a mixed bag of results more than anything else like the long tv timeouts is what i i think will have the biggest impact i know you know 10 years ago i would have said oh playing in the domes playing in these arenas with weird lighting weird angles behind the basket i think that sort of myth has been dispelled or debunked so much somewhat the long tv timeouts actually I think are a positive for this team because you don't get anything from your bench right now, which means if they get to the tournament, if the NCAA tournament started tomorrow, I would assume that Jalen, Grady, and Dewan are each going to play 37 minutes. I would assume Kevin's going to play 34, 35 minutes. I would assume KJ is going to play 31, 32. So if you don't go to your bench, which this team doesn't, I hope that changes. I think it needs to change. But if it doesn't, then this would be the team that would benefit from longer timeouts and more rest. I don't think that that's a negative at all. I think there are times when you want to ride momentum and you don't want to sit there in the timeout and you feel like the game lacks any flow. For this team specifically, though, if you're talking about March, if we see them play the way they have played for another month and a half where you're only playing seven deep and the two guys off the bench aren't giving you anything, therefore putting more pressure on those starters, then I want as long of breaks as possible. I want uh, as much rest as possible. When I think about the quick scouting, that, to me, I think is also a positive for Kansas. Well, it's not a positive for Kansas as much as it won't affect them in a negative way as much as it does other teams. Two reasons. The first thing I always think about with scouting and quick turnarounds is your assistant coaches. When the rest of the team is recovering after a game where they're going back to the hotel and, you know, Bill Self and the rest of the coaching staff is going back home to start, you know, watching the film of the game they just played. You've got two other coaches who are sitting there scouting the next opponent, right? If there's a game right after you, they're going to sit around 
and they're going to watch that next team. They're going to watch both those games and scout those opponents. So the first line of defense, so to speak, the onus goes on that assistant coach, whether it's Norm or KT or Jeremy Case, that's scouting that next opponent. And KU and the staff has proven over time they're as good as any team in the country and any staff in the country in terms of assistant coaches and scouting reports and finding that edge for the team that maybe you don't have a ton of tape on. Aside from that, I've raved all year, and this is one thing I will never back down on. This Kansas team, even despite the fact they're on a three-game losing streak and they make you scratch your head and yell at your TV screen a lot, is a, an incredibly high IQ basketball team. This starting five, I think, is as smart of a starting five as KU's had in a very long time. Every single guy in that in that lineup seems to know their role. Now, Kevin, maybe you, you think he tries to do too much offensively. Dewan's had a rough stretch where the confidence is lacking. He's made some really weird decisions. KJ hasn't been as great of a score. Grady isn't the best defender in the world, and they think that's putting it lightly. But all of those things are, to me, more about meshing, more about confidence, more about having a bad stretch. None of those are due to a lack of low basketball intelligence. This is a high IQ team, and that's the type of team I think would thrive in quick turnarounds, understanding the scout, trying to find edges. It may not feel like it right now. When you're in a three-game losing streak, it almost feels sacrilegious to say anything positive about this team. I still think they're a very smart basketball team, and by the time we get to the NCAA tournament, I think that will be evident, and we will view it almost universally as one of the strengths of this basketball team. All right, thanks for the submissions. Again, if you have any questions for me, you can hit me up on Twitter at Nick underscore Schwartz. I'll try to get to him uh, in next week's episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Jay Billis. You guys are the best. Hope you have a phenomenal day, and we'll see you next week on Wave of the Week. Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man. Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Spring training is here, and the free Odyssey app has everything you need to get ready for opening day. In-depth team coverage from the biggest sports radio stations across the country. Exclusive interviews with players, managers, and MLB insiders. And podcasts dedicated to your favorite team. Listen live to the latest breaking news from around the league. Or choose from a list of topics and listen on demand. Baseball lives right here on the free Odyssey app. 